Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal and Andy Rampernard. And we'll be right back. A lot of news to cover. Don McLean's going to join us later this hour. Car selling secrets in the second hour. What could be better? Uh, hanging out in Cancun with Ted Cruz. That'd be better. How's he in Cancun? Ted's down in Can- yeah, Cancun. getting in a little trouble. <laughs> Why would he get in trouble for that? I don't understand that. Well, I don't know. There's people dying and five million people that don't have power and he's in Mexico. It just doesn't look great. Yeah. Well, he's Mexican. What's the problem? Oh, that's right. I don't even know. I don't know if he's Mexican or not. Cruz, I don't know. He could be Mexican. I thought he was Puerto Rican. Maybe he is Puerto Rican. And his mom's Puerto Canadian Puerto Rican. He remember. is Taiwanese. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding. He is <laughs> Taiwanese. <laughs> we'll be right back right after this. You want to go right into Walzer? Sure, why not? We'll have to do a really... Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. We'll That's all do, I have to say. We'll have to do a good commercial because the actual marketing director is coming in for car selling secrets and she'll be mad if I screw uh-huh. this up. And we talked about this last week. Uh, I think this is going to be an ongoing thing. We are uh, in need of late model used cars. There is going to be a shortage of new cars again because of the computer ship shortage. Computer ship. Chip shortage. It's always something. If you have a late model car and you're considering trading or if you want to sell it outright, a lot of couples are working from home or one of the two are and they don't use a car very much. If you have a lease that's going to come due in the next four or five months, we might be able to get you out of it early if you wish. Reach out to me directly at DougAtWalzer.com, and I will see what I can do. Fantastic job, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Thanks. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, We're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Ted Cruz is Cuban, by the way. Cuban. Oh, he's Cuban. Okay, he's Cuban. Half Cuban, half Irish. Well, no. Well, Um, (laughs) technically is half of three quarters, so one and a half quarter, or I don't know. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, boy, I tell you, you look today now after... uh, and again, I, you know, I'm in a situation where I, I've met Rush Limbaugh a couple of times, as I said. Uh, I didn't know him at all. I know a few people that are good friends with him. I love the fact that he and Elton John are good buddies, although they agree about n- on nothing are politically. They re- They're still. I, did, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah. Well, Elton John played at his wedding. Which one? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, which one? Exactly. He was married like four times, I think. But... Um, Every picture I can see of, of Rush Limbaugh now, who died of stage four lung cancer, uh, or died of lung cancer, he had stage four lung cancer, he died of lung cancer. Every picture of him now has got a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> well, I think that People was are true horrible. before he died, too, so there is that. Oh, was it? Okay. Oh, like, I if, see. If anyone ever made like a parody or a caricature of him, there was always a cigar there, because that, that was Oh, really? He, oh, yeah, he smoked cigars all the time. He didn't inhale them, though, did he? I hope not. Well, but still, you're sitting in the radio booth smoking a cigar. That smoke's going to find its way into your lungs. That's true. Very, very very true. Even the biggest uh, recording studios are not big by design. Yeah, that's right. Well, unless they're for, like, orchestras. I have a feeling he wasn't in an orchestra hall doing his show. No. um, I just... I wonder again what is wrong with people. And again, I I never listened to Rush Limbaugh. I I was not a huge fan of his show. 
he's a little too, he bloviated a bit too much for me. God bless him, whatever. I mean, look, the guy's making 85 million bucks a year and is worth 600 million bucks. Apparently, he's doing something right. So, yeah. uh, so it's not a situation where I'm defending him, but, but I, I just tell you, I really don't like human beings right now as negative and horrible as they are about a dead person. What, what is that? Why do you have to be that way? I, I don't get it either. I've always been that way. Yeah, I suppose they have. Look at any time I mean, anyone, uh, any famous person who ever died in history, the first thing the people did was go uh, tear their body apart for souvenirs. That's true. So far this morning I've seen uh, Rush Limbaugh rest in piss, which is real nice. Oh, That's, boy. It's really adult, really, really adult right there. And Mark Marin uh, called him pig mouth because Mark Marin's such a wonderful human being. So God, Mark he was Maron in the studio. Who? Uh, WTF podcast. Oh. He's a stand-up comedian. He he's not funny. I mean, he's one of those guys. He he's not funny in the least. But uh, you know, he's got a podcast. So Rush was you know like the rest of us. Rush was crushing us, and apparently he couldn't take it. Yeah. I look, man. The guy made a name for himself in a certain area, and he made a ton of dough doing it, and he had the support that he needed. So you know, it's just the way the world is right now. There's no doubt about that, ladies and gentlemen. So look, I'm not, I, I don't. I didn't know Rush Limbaugh. Like I said, I talked to him a couple of times. He hit on my wife once. I know that. Which Everybody was great. does that. Well, <laughs> well, thank you very much. McCartney? Great to be here. Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah that's there you right. Go. Paul McCartney, Rush Limbaugh. What the hell did she do and end up with me? What, what what did she do wrong? That's why they're all looking at her. Yeah, exactly. What the hell's wrong? Yeah, well, look at her husband. I got a shot. Is that what you're saying? I, I, I'm, I'm just going to be quiet. There's no good way to <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. Uh, okay, let's end it with this, with two words. Woody Allen. Oh, this guy's got some. Why? What did he do now? I I haven't heard anything Um, from Woody in a couple of years. I think there was a, I believe, a four-part series coming up that says he diddled his own seven-year-old daughter. Oh no! Uh That's apparently. Uh. It says me. Here's a quote from Mia Farrow. Woody Allen will do anything to save himself. Comments come from new documentary focused on child abuse allegations. Woody Allen. So it's called Allen versus Pharaoh. Soon ye then. Nope, nope. It's uh, it's uh, what's her name? Is Dylan? Was that her name? Uh, I'll find her name in here. I'm looking at it right now. Her name's in here somewhere. Yeah, Dylan O'Sullivan uh, Pharaoh is one of their kids. Yeah, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan. Now 35 claims. Dylan now 35 claims Allen sexually abused her as a seven year old in 1992. Hmm. Jesus, it says, I remember my mom told me and brother Ronan Farrow, daddy took naked pictures of Soon Yi, and that was sort of the first instance where I thought, oh, it's not just me. Oh, my, this guy's, he should end up dead, wow. actually. I, another guy, at the very beginning of his career, just hilarious, very, very funny, and then all of a sudden he got all self-important and cocky. He has sucked for 30 years. Most self-important little prick on earth. Ugh. I don't remember the last thing that I saw him and that, that he did that I liked. Midnight, exactly. Midnight well, Paris was pretty good. It was a weird movie, but it was pretty good, actually. But I don't know. It's just, well, it's just terrible because he was he was a star. I mean, he was brilliant. He was, he absolutely. Was, but, yeah, he, uh, well, I mean, talk, you're saying seven years old, that's the age that they adopted Soon Yi. I remember he had a <sighs> joke many, many, probably 40 years ago, he had a great joke about... Uh, about looking at uh, the book War and Peace, and he said, I'm, I'm going to read War and Peace someday, but I have to get over the fact that my father was bayoneted to death by a Polish conscientious objector. <laughs> that is a great joke. Remember Biddy did? He goes, when I was a young man, my mother gave me a bullet, and I carried it in my breast pocket, and one day a sugar-crazed, Bible-wielding, uh, whatever, threw a Bible at me, and if it wasn't for that bullet, I would have been dead. <laughs> <laughs> the bullet saved the Bible it's from right, killing me. Right. That, That's very the funny. Bible in the breast pocket story. I wonder if that ever actually happened, or was that one of those urban well, legends? Well, close. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was giving <laughs> yeah, a political, yeah. but it was a speech. Yeah, it was a speech. That's but right. How how badass are you? You get shot twice, 
and then just kind of keep going. <laughs> yeah. One of them, I don't know who it was. I think it might have been Teddy. Got shot doing a speech. Yeah, it was in Milwaukee. And he uh, he knew whether or not he was bleeding internally because if you cough and you cough up blood, then it hit your lungs. So he coughed. Right. He didn't cough up blood. He was like, okay, so I'm fine. And finished his speech, and then went to the hospital. Yep. That, no, that was in <laughs> never going to happen 1912, again. <laughs> I think, in Milwaukee. And there's still you can see photographs of the blood-soaked speech that mm-hmm. saved his life. It's just a he was a badass. Why don't they do a movie about Teddy? It would be great. What a life he had. I agree. I'm surprised they. I haven't. agree. I'm sure they have. It just probably hasn't. Well, no one really cares about him anymore, except for people from South Dakota. They're big fans because he yeah. created the national park system. Yeah, and they're is very, that North and South Dakota, by the way? I don't know. Anything Isn't about part of it in North and part of it in South Dakota? But I think. Well, he started the I'm whole national sure. park system. If it wasn't for he did. Teddy. There'd be yeah, no Yellowstone. There'd be no yep. Glacier. There'd he be was no... a big uh, environmentalist. Yeah. but he also loved to hunt. I mean, it's well, you know, if you're if you're doing it right, you're not hurting the environment. That's right. You know. People in Minnesota, in Minnesota, I learned recently that uh, it's basically perpetual open season on coyotes because there's just so many of them, and they're not helpful. So you, yeah. <laughs> you can't if you ask a coyote for directions, they're not very helpful. They'll just bark at you. Yep. Pretty much true. Pretty much the situation there, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. It's uh, Woody Allen wrote great jokes. His first couple of movies I thought were hilarious. I don't know. As soon as Diane Keaton came along, he wasn't funny anymore. Annie Hall, I thought, was terrible. Yeah. But people loved it. People loved that movie. Man, they thought it was the greatest. I, I watched it and I was like, there's nothing good about this. It's not even good. He's trying to hit on this woman. That's not, I mean, you could tell the entire movie, all he was trying to do was get in her pants. Well, yeah. That's that what was he was doing. the entire movie. It was. I mean, I, I just, this guy's what a creep. Hopefully he goes to prison. Wasn't he like 80? He's about 80 years old now, isn't he? Oh, he must be. How old is he? I wonder. Woody Allen's got to be 80 years old. Oh, Woody. God, he has to be. Woody is 85. 85? So he's almost ready to tip anyway. <laughs> well, you put it that way. Well, he is. Well, I mean, oh, how about... some people. Are the, I was uh, asking Grandpa the other day if he felt like he was wanted to be the world oldest, world's oldest man one day, and he said, no, thank you. We no, it thank you. It's 112. So Ooh. Grandpa's 16 got, years to go, baby. Yeah, Grandpa's 18. got 18 years to go before he can take that title. So Woody Allen's, uh, he's 10 years behind him. Indeed. We've got to take a break. In about a minute here, I should uh, report that Bob Dole, 97-year-old Bob Dole, has stage 4 lung cancer. Oh, ladies no. and gentlemen. Yeah. So he will not be How around much he? longer. 97. 97. Oh, God, yeah. he's. It's not looking good for him, I would say. One of my favorite things about Bob Dole in my life was about 25 years ago, he called into the KQ Morning Show. And I go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please represent, uh, pre, pre, please welcome Bob Dole. And he goes, I just want to tell all the people listening this morning that I'm very excited to be on with my friend Tom Bernard at KORS Radio. <laughs> KORS, the core. The cores. I always like Bob and Elizabeth. I thought they were a pretty interesting yeah. couple. They're very inoffensive I people. Agree. Yeah, they are. He was a very nice guy, very, very straight ahead, really nice guy. Yeah. We have to take a break because we have a very special guest coming mm-hmm. up next. Don McLean will join us. Don McLean is, I, that song, Wonderful Baby, still is one of my favorite songs ever recorded. It's so sweet, and yet it's so scary and disturbing. That's <laughs> all at the same time. We'll be right back, right after this with the family. Tom Bernard with the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski, who just so happens to be a very good friend of mine. If you're trying to get me to give you some shots on the golf course next time, it's not going to work, Tom. Well, it was worth a shot. So, from refinancing your home to small business loans or just a new checking account, you are a locally owned community bank. So what does that mean to folks listening, Michael? We take pride in individually crafted and customized solutions for your business with quick response times to all our customers, Tom. If you're tired of talking to pre-recorded voices and the wait times that can be forever, we answer the phone in Roseville, Edina, Hastings, Woodbury, and Shoreview. 
Plus, if it's important for your banker to know who you are, that's us, because we're your neighbor. So you're easy to find in a place people can trust. I learned that from personal experience, you know. Next year, I'll give you a couple shots on the front nine. Well, who am I to say no? Why not bank with my family's banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza Sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza Sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Square, and use promo code TOM, T-O-M. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As guests ready to go, Andrew? He's on the phone right now. Well, he's on the phone with him right now. Don McLean will join us in a couple of seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Got a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, just uh, love talking to Don. The 50th anniversary of American Pie. Do you believe that was 50 years ago? I, I, my, whole life, my whole life now is like, I can't believe that was that long ago. That's all I do all day. Yeah, I'm getting there, believe me. <laughs> Pretty much true. We Don McLean, how are you? Don, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much. It's wonderful having you on. There's no question. And we were just talking about it, Don. We're, we're right there shoulder to shoulder with you, the 50th anniversary of American Pie, and we're sitting here going, okay, so that was 50 years ago. But a lot of stuff in our life was 50 years ago, Don, no doubt about it. We're at that point. Well, it's a whole no different question. country. It's a whole different world. It's a whole different set of beliefs. It's a whole different uh, ethics. It's a whole different morality. It's a whole different um, planet in terms of the animals that are now gone. Somewhat, something like sixty percent of the uh, animal kingdom has been eliminated in these fifty years by um, things that we could do a little different. You know, I, I'm not one of these people that wears a gas mask when I'm in Los Angeles or anything. I have friends right. like that. But a few little things we could have done back in 1970 would have probably, uh, half of the, that animal kingdom perhaps would have been saved. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to get off on this, but, you know, there's... So those are the things that are different anyway. A vast difference between... Uh, the way things were when I wrote that song and the way things are now. It is quite different. By the way, you can go off on any subject you want to. Don, I, I loved hearing you talk about these things. Uh, the 50th anniversary of American Pie, the eight-and-a-half-minute epic that chronicled somewhat cryptically the politics, youth culture, and defining events of the 50s and 60s. Yeah, everybody, it seemed to me, Don, and I want to introduce you to Doug Sprinthal. Doug, how many different instruments do you play, Doug? Well, nothing well, but I play just about everything. I'm an amateur oh, musician and a professional car salesman, and I get to, to visit with Tom <laughs> once a week, so it's an interesting. And I've been a fan for a long time. Can I ask you a question? And I and and stop me if you've answered this a million times. But when you write, what is your process? Do you write uh, melody and then come up with lyrics, or do you write lyrics first? How do you do it? I'm always curious how great songwriters operate. Well, I think that most. If you look back now at songwriting, if you want me to give you a, a really good answer to that question, um, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, you had songwriters who were classically trained musicians. Uh, a lot of them were Jewish and Italian. A lot of Jewish songwriters who were brought up uh, in the classics, and they were listening to Mozart and Beethoven, and they studied piano, and they were frustrated 
symphony musicians, really, that knew a beautiful melody when they heard it. Wonderful musicians. So your Irving Berlins and Jerome Kearns and Ira Gershwins and all those people were way beyond uh, the pay level of a songwriter in terms of their musical knowledge. But then you move into the 1950s when you've got people like Lieber and Stoller also brought up in that environment. But now they're writing songs for the Coasters and for, you know, um, Elvis Presley and so on and so forth. And you have the Brill Building, uh, a simpler song, but a, a brilliant song nonetheless. I mean, all of Elvis's early music, um, don't, don't Be Cruel, which was not written by them, but I mean, you know, Too Much, uh, you know... Hound uh, Dog. Uh, hound, well, yeah, Hound Dog, uh, um, uh, my favorite is um, uh, All Shook Up. I mean, that's one of the best oh, records God. ever. Yeah, yep. best records ever. And so these are guys writing now more in a folk way, you know, simple three chords, but, but three great chords, three, a great melody, a great idea, you know, and then you move into the 60s and you have these brilliant, groups, the Stones and the Beatles and the English groups who were really starving for attention for decades because the English were not respected in the world of show business in the United States. You had mm. like, two people in, in, the, in, the, in the film business and they were actors, Arthur Treacher and, you know, whatever, they were always butlers, you know, and we thought of the English musicians as kind of Weird, you know, like um, the guy that did we well, do chewing gum loses flavor on the bedpost overnight. <laughs> right. was, you know, this kind of song, you know, uh, skiffle music, which everybody thought was like right. really dumb folk folk music. In fact, Lonnie Donegan took a lot of Weaver's hits, uh, the Rock Island Line, and songs like that, and did them in this in this weird ass skiffle way. I don't I don't understand it, but that that's underneath the Beatles, you know. There's, there's a skiffle aspect to the Beatles, you know, Honey Pie and some of these songs that they do. So they come along and uh, with their wonderful, wonderful talent and write a whole new kind of song. And so songwriting um, has changed, you know, from, from uh, uh, musicians that were skilled uh, in the classics to people that were making up unusual songs. And that's what inspired me. I mean, there never was a song like A Day in the Life or MacArthur Park or or, or Good Vibrations. And these were the apex. Good Vibrations and A Day in the Life are the apex of the Beatles and the Beach Boys, the two greatest groups ever. They're never, and, and it's the Stones tried to do that with, you know, the Satanic Majesty's Request and all that, which is a big flop. Because the Stones basically do what the Stones do, you know, satisfaction, you know, start me up. That's what they do. But they didn't have the capacity to move to a day in the life or good vibrations. Well, that, those groups inspired me. And so I was thinking, you know, crazy thoughts always uh, for songwriting based upon the diversity of what I heard uh, from the Beatles. Now, Don, I have to ask you a question, kind of a re-reference here, going back a little bit. But is it true that a record executive was sitting with Otis Blackwell, and, and Otis said, I could write a song about anything, and a guy shook up a bottle of Coca-Cola, sat it down, and said, write a song about this. Is that a true story? I don't know the answer to that, but I would not deny it, because <clears throat> Buddy Holly wrote, That'll Be the Day, after he saw The Searchers. Yeah. And if you see that, if you see the searchers, you know, the Duke is always saying, you know, um, the young guy, I can't think of his name, um, he says, I'll fight you for it, Mr. Dunson, and he says, that'll be the day. <laughs> you know? That's right. <laughs> that's the catchphrase. That's the catchphrase of the searchers. You know? And so Buddy and all that. the boys, and they went out and he wrote that song. And so it's connected to the Western, uh, the searchers. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. 
They do claim it. I, was, I worked for Capitol Records for about six, seven years, and they used to talk about that all the time, that, that Otis Blackwell said I could write a song about anything. And apparently he could write a song about anything. Well, you know, the thing I love about, if I may just take a second about that, I think that is Gordon Stoker playing the piano on that record. Yeah. Because Gordon played piano, and he also sang with the Jordanaires. Um, and the way that song starts always floors me. You know, yep. it, listen to it sometimes. Then the piano thing is happening. And then an El- and, and it's magical. And Elvis's biggest hits were not songs where he was singing really hard. You know, and he was... Mm-hmm. He backed off, you know, like, don't be cruel. He's not singing really, you know, big. He can sing operatically if he wanted to. And he did that later. He did that in a lot of things. It's Now or Never and songs like that. But uh, it was when he sang that in that easy style, you know, that he really scored, uh, especially in the 50s. It's so amazing, too, because his entire style was based on what they referred to at the time in the early 50s as race music. We've come a long way, Don. No. I'm not sure we have. I'm going to crap it on the radio. I'll tell you that right now. Well, you're right about that. You're right about that. There's so much garbage that. out there. I can't believe the garbage I hear. I'm such trash. Well, oh, Blackwell would bl- not like it. I guarantee you. No, you're right. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I, I grew up uh, in a very urban neighborhood. I'm a huge uh, uh, soul R&B fan. And it's just it's very hard to find R&B on the radio anymore. It's really difficult. Because it's real music. Yep. I keep real, telling you, real music has been Real music has been displaced by um, yelling and cursing and nasty thoughts and and yep. and a kind of a you know rhythm thing rhythm tracks with with garbage you know it's graffiti set to to a beat is really what it is and I You're absolutely graffiti right i see is nicer than the lyrics that i hear okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's it's very nicer. true it's true doug you had a point no, I, I, I was going to say, Tom, I keep telling you to listen to the Black Pumas. You would love this band. They're new. Yeah, They're from I, Texas. I, the guy's a yep. classic 60s soul. Uh, you know, they play their own instruments. It's just got groove. It's got funk. He's a gr- just a wonderful uh, classic R&B singer. You would really like him. And he's probably, um, I don't know, 28 years old or something. The, uh, the new version of American Pie by Home Free... Um, which is causing a lot of uh, attention to be paid to it. Um, it's an excellent version of that song. It was number one on all the iTunes charts last week. It put my version of American Pie as number one on the iTunes sales chart, which really amazed me. And uh, they're very good at this. And so acapella is something nice that uh, I'm really excited come back with them because they understand harmony. And I was even dying, you know. I mean, I'm a big fan of harmony groups. The Swamp Silver Tones, the Golden Gate, yeah. Gospel Quartet, yep. the Jordanaires, the Persuasions. I love cats that can sing, you know, and no harmony. And it's not, it's not something that's easy. <clears throat> These guys really do know that. And um, so it's just a nice little thing to have this version of American Pie out there now. Andy looked that up before uh, you came on, Don, and apparently that group is from a town called Mankato, Minnesota, which is just west yes. of the Twin Cities, about probably 60 miles <coughs> That's or right. so. That's right. Yeah. They're, God, they're, they're Minnesota boys. Mm-hmm. It, it, the group's been going on for a long time, and they come from right where you are. Yeah, there's nothing to do up here in the winter other than learn how to sing. That is, yeah. <laughs> that's <what we're> <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got Prince out of it. That was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you learn how to plow, which I know how to do, and you learn how to sing, which I also know how to do. You're in good shape. You, yeah. you should just move here. It's beautiful. There's no bugs. <laughs> there, there are no bugs. I can, I, I can, I can plow everybody's driveway. I'm really good at it. <laughs> yeah, Don, we need to take about a two minute break. Can you stay for one more segment? Yes. Magnificent. We'll be back in two minutes more with Don McLean with the family. 
Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. There are definitely things to avoid during a Minnesota winter, like licking a flagpole or waiting too long to replace that car battery. But number one on the list is taking a chance on your furnace. Hey, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, reminding you that a furnace clean and tune will improve efficiency, reliability, and peace of mind. Or maybe it's time to take advantage of Sabre's rebates and upgrade to an energy-efficient Bryant system. Don't take chances on your comfort. Visit SabreHeating.com. Sabre and Bryant. Whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. So I, I got to ask, where did you learn how to plow snow? I bet nobody's ever asked you that before. <laughs> Nobody has ever asked me that before. Um, I have a V two, a V two fifty ten stroke engine um, Ford car, mm-hmm. uh, a truck, truck, and it's all tricked out with lights and everything. And I've had it since 2007. Uh, it's a 10-cylinder engine, you know, not not an eight, hmm. and uh, it's got tremendous torque. And I have a seven-tenths of a mile driveway in Maine that goes up the side of the hill. So for 25 years, um, I, along with others, would plow that driveway and all sorts of blizzards and everything. I go out in the middle of the night. When the snow is going sideways and there's like a foot and a half or whatever, and just plow, plow, you know. And I could have gotten stuck or anything else. I didn't have any bones in the car or anything, but all kinds of weather. I I love the weather, and um, I used to take my horse out in, in, in all kinds of blizzards and things, you know. He didn't want to go, but he went, you know, and I love that. Whereabouts in, so that's in Maine? One of the nice where, things of living in Maine. Whereabouts in Maine do you live up there? I'm from New England originally, and I spent all my yeah, summers with my grandparents up in uh, uh, by Damascot, if you know where that is. It's a little bit south of. Yes, Rockland. I do. I'm well acquainted with the state of Maine. I live in Camden, Maine. I okay. Have a house also in in Castine, Maine. Yeah, I I haven't been up there in probably ten or fifteen years, and I, honestly, yeah. I was surprised at how little it had changed. Well, that's what you want. Yeah, because you know? it's, it's a perfect place, really. But the problem is now that everybody, you know, in Boston who is afraid of being in the city now are all going to come up oh. and, and they stay around for a while and buy houses and everything, and then they get bored because there's nothing to do, and in a few years they run back to the city again. Um, you got to love the air and the, and the woods and the ocean and nature. You can't go up there expecting to have a you know, a, a bustling social life because there isn't any, but <laughs> I, I don't want that. No, the, know, whole state like the, goes, the whole state goes to bed about 9 o'clock from what I remember. I like it. And they live to be 90, so uh, whatever, you gotta, it's a trade-off. Yep. 
No, it is absolutely. I got to mention this again, Mr. McLean, because every time you and I talk, and it's been many, many times over the past 35 years on the morning show I do, you're just on this week, as a matter of fact, but I have to rave to Don every time I talk to him about Wonderful Baby, because I still think it's one of the most beautifully sung songs I've ever heard. The backing vocals in that thing, with you singing it, it, it's just incredible. Well, I'm doing the backing vocals along with some women uh, singers. And I I accepted the idea for the backing vocals, and then Joel Dorn brought in some wonderful uh, ladies who were great background singers, and they added uh, to it. And then Joel, Joel Dorn was one of the greatest producers I ever worked with, maybe even the greatest. He wasn't a George Martin, and he wasn't a, a, a Phil Spector. He was fundamentally a jazz uh, producer, <clears throat> and his biggest claim to fame, really, was producing uh, the three um, Roberta Flock albums with uh, Killing Me Softly uh, on there. And Joel discovered uh, Roberta Flack in a nightclub down in Washington, D.C., and brought her to Atlantic Records, where he was a, you know, a, a salaried producer with Atlantic. He'd been a, a disc jockey before that. He called himself the mask announcer. And, uh, <laughs> he's getting right in today. Yeah. He was yeah. the funniest guy I ever knew. And he made hundreds of albums with some of the greatest jazz people ever. <clears throat> but he also was you know, dabbling and finding new He did a couple of records with Leon Redbone, and I actually played five-string banjo on a couple of Leon Redbone tracks. Uh, oh, wow. If you want to hear me, you can listen to uh, Polly Wally Doodle. I play the banjo on that. And Joel That's would say, great. you want to come in and play banjo, you know, with uh, Leon? I said, yeah, sure, I'll try. You know, if I can do something, you'll like keep it, you know, otherwise don't. But, uh, you know, he was the greatest. And um, we did two things together. One was Homeless Brother, and... He considered that to be one of the best albums that he ever made. He wrote in my Wikipedia, and Wonderful Baby was on that. It went to number one on the Easy Listening chart. Uh, And then we made a a last record together called Rearview Mirror. And that had a lot of unreleased material on it. And he remixed some beautiful things. You can listen to If You Could Read My Mind, or you can listen to Wonderful Baby on that record. And that is an unadorned, acoustic performance of Wonderful Baby with me uh, at exactly the same time period, probably 1974, around there. So you can hear the unadorned version of the song that the production um, things were added to. That's really funny about that. You just gave me a great memory because the first time I ever heard Wonderful Baby... I was a 23-year-old kid uh, doing nights at WDGY Radio in Minneapolis, and I was handed the song Wonderful Baby. I listened to it, and I played a very, very hard rock night show. But because I loved that song so much, I literally would play all this really hard rock, then I'd go, Wonderful Baby! (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how many people have played that and put little little videos on YouTube with their baby. Oh, you know, they have yeah. a newborn baby that they, you know, love so much, and they take some video and put my song with it. Um, yep. And that was finally, the interesting thing about, tell you one quick thing about it, I probably told you before, I was listening to Fred Astaire music all through the summer yep. of 1974, and I wrote this Fred Astaire-like song, and Fred Astaire ended up coming out of retirement and recording it. Wow. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. man. He just came out of the blue. He said, I want to make one last record, and I want I want to do one wonderful baby. So I flew over to England, and I met Fred Astaire. And oh, God. sat with him, you know, and, a, and had a little food and at the Connaught Hotel, and he appeared exactly to see him with a sash. And a, and a blazer, and he was immaculate and lovely and so mannered and everything, and uh, had a nice chat for about half an hour. And uh, he was probably a third of all the great popular songs were written for Fred Astaire, specifically for his movies. Even a song like One for My Baby uh, and One for the Road, the Frank 
you know, took. Right. Uh, that was written for Fred Astaire for a movie called Skyscraper. Hmm. God, I just I, I was just thinking more about those days, Don, when I would literally play Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo by Rick Derringer, followed by Blood Rock, DOA, followed by Wonderful Baby. <laughs> yeah, Rick, Rick a Derringer great. is a very un- underestimated uh, guitar player. Oh, he's a great he's guitar a great, player. Great guitar player. One of one of my he favorite is. records is uh, uh, Edgar Winter. It's called Road Work with Rick Derringer, and there's a couple of songs where they bring Johnny out. It's just it's a great rock and roll record, and Rick Derringer just smokes on that album. Yep. Well, so was uh, Edgar Winter. I worked with him on a couple of shows. He opened for me when I got very famous, and uh, he was a knockout. <clears throat> he's a cool guy uh, and played great, but. You know, the thing about it is, what's interesting to me is that the playing now, uh, today, the drummers, the bass players, the guitar players, they're so fantastic, and yet they don't get any songwriters to give them something to really get their teeth into. It's all like rhythm licks and stuff, and that's wasting their talent, basically. Yeah, I I personally, and it, this sounds like get off my lawn and old man yelling at clouds, but I think looping has done such damage to songwriting oh, because God, it's yeah. now yep. it's like, okay, I've got this one cool lick, and yep. you just turned one lick into an eight-minute song. It's mm-hmm. not that good. It's easy, though, and profitable. One of, my favorite songwriters, one of my favorite songwriters is Todd Rundgren, and he has a saying that says, don't bore us, get to the chorus. I'm like, yep, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a good thing. Um, I don't like that. You don't because that's where that's where the real important stuff is in the stories and <clears throat> and what's development of the character and that is all part of the dumbing down of America. You know, uh, we don't want the story. Yep. We want the chorus. You know, give me a break. You know. I, I meant um, it I in reaction to a lot of modern writing is just four chords with no bridges. It's That's like this true. just does not go anywhere. So, um, you know, this home free thing is a, is a nice uh, way of uh, of sunshine because we have young men who know how to harmonize and they've made a very successful version of my song singing the whole thing, which nobody ever did before. And... Uh, But once again, I'm I'm on uh, I'm on some charts again, which is pretty crazy. Well, fifty years—it's it's not that long a stretch to be on the charts for fifty straight years, Don. You know, <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> no, it's not that. <laughs> not bad at all. I, I don't know. It's so much fun to talk to you because you you love the music so much. It's not just like. Uh, Don McLean decided, you know what, I'm going to pick up a guitar and I'm going to start writing some songs. And I'm going to do a few songs and then I'm going to just forget about it. You actually, the music is by far the most important thing to you, which, I don't, is that kind of rare? Well, it certainly is now because music right now is dreadful. Well, I don't hear anything anymore and that, that depresses me. You yeah. know, um, for example, uh, <laughs> the the rapper uh, Drake, who was very very successful, sold four million mm-hmm. copies of a song called "Do It Wrong," and he, he, "Do It Wrong" uses two of my songs, and they're both from oh. an album called Prime Time. And one is "Do it, the Wrong Thing to Do," and the other is like, "When a Good Thing Goes Bad." Mm-hmm. And it's really a cool video and a cool song, but. Um, he shouldn't have needed me, you know. The, the problem is there are people need ideas, and so for that reason alone, I'm I'm still making albums. I have a new album uh, that's going to come out um, this year called American Boys, and I have this other album called Still Playing Favorites, which has me and my and my band doing a lot of uh, uh, upbeat things and different things that I do with them on the road. And the last album I put out was Botanical Gardens about three years ago. So I think one of the things that motivates me at my advanced age, really, is to make records uh, so that young people have some ideas to think about. 
because you have to concentrate. And I think that everything out there now is uh, destructive to concentration. You know, your phone, a little bit of information here, a little bit of information there, yeah. 500 yeah. TV stations, 500 radio stations, and nothing's coming to you. When American Pie was number one, there were three stations in New York, and you were the king of the world. Everybody knew what was number one. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. Don, you're, a, like I said, you're one of my favorite guests to have on. There's no question about it. Don McLean, ladies and gentlemen, I do believe Still Playing Favorites came out in, in October, did it not? I think. Still Playing Favorites came out in October, and this year the American Boys album will come out, and we're going to play a bunch of brand new songs and rock and roll. Are you going to come to town for us? you got to come to town, Don. If they let me, I mean, I, 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 you know, they won't let me, you know. Oh, that's, who won't let you? Everything won't let me. I can't leave the house. I can't get a plane flight where I'm sure I'll get back. I can't find a hotel where, uh, you know, yeah. they don't sanitize the room and nobody will come in. The, the places are closing around the country. It's depressing. It is. You're absolutely right. we got to do something about this. No question. Moved, I think we should have moved. We should have moved a long time ago to playing drive-in movie theaters. I mean that. Oh, I, you know something. what? Why don't you do that now? You get to, we get a hold of some people. You you play nothing but drive-ins. That's a great idea. We should have been thinking about baseball fields, drive-ins, all sorts of places where people can bring their cars and listen to something. You know, yep, you're but absolutely people have right. been waiting for it to come back like it was. And they've waited too long, and then they've got to pay the rent, they've got to pay the mortgage, they've got to pay the heating bill, they've got to pay all kinds of stuff, and uh, they're not having any foot traffic in these lovely little theaters that I've played all my life. And there, and there are a lot of stories with these theaters, you know, mom-and-pop things, uh, people retire and they want to have a performing arts center, and they put their life savings into it and fix it up and, and bring all kinds of acts that they like to the town. I've seen this over and over again. Those people are mm-hmm. getting uh, heartbroken. They are indeed. Well, keep at it, Don, because I love you. I love your music, and it's always great to see your name on the docket, sir. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Don McLean, ladies and gentlemen, quite the guy. What a talented guy. You know what I love about Don McLean? Hmm. That that interview he just did. Okay. Yes. Is three times longer than his than, than his interviews usually go, and I'll be Don McLean and you be Doug asking me a question. I'll play Don McLean in his usual interview on the radio. So, Don, what inspired you to write uh, that crazy thing called Starry Night? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> He does. He just shuts them down, baby. Well, I can tell he, he doesn't, doesn't like, like Todd you, Rundgren. <laughs> uh, kind of showed through, didn't it? Yeah, just a little. Anyway. That's, that's At least I get to Don ask him is. a question nobody had ever asked him before. How did you get into plowing exactly. snow, Don? Well, yeah, that is an interesting... I wouldn't ever think that someone <laughs> like that would be plowing thing. his own driveway. He's, he has a yeah, V10 Ford is what he was trying to say. Yeah, it was ten, a 10-stroke engine. That's an interesting design. You pass anything in the stroke. world except a gas station. They get like one. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Exactly. But when you're plowing snow, that's what you need. I didn't know he lived in Maine. At Camden is... Probably about, about 30 miles northeast of where I spent all my summers in the 60s and then oh, the 70s. Okay. It's, a, it's a beautiful right. place. It's just, he's lucky to live there. I have six places in America that I in which I have not set foot, and those would be Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. I've been in every other, those six states, I've been in the other 44. I, oh, no, that's not true. I've never been in Alaska either. So I have seven states out of the 50 that I've never been in. And number one I want to do is the Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine trip, because I bet you I'd love it there. Well, if you like driving up from Duluth to Grand Marais, and then yeah, you go to yep, Maine, yep. you'll go, okay, that's like driving through mm-hmm. Nebraska now. <laughs> Because it's it, it's the people are very similar in northern New England to uh, you know native Minnesotans. It's the same kind of yeah. mindset. Oh, yeah. They're they're not into bragging. They're they're kind of soft spoken and quiet. They love being outside, 
Uh, but the the it, Maine is such a beautiful state, especially the coast. And if you like lobster, it's free. Last time I was there, boy, it was a long time ago. I think I was driving, took a girlfriend out there. I hope my wife isn't listening. Oh, oh, we passed the sign and it said Twix Lobbed In seven fifty. She's like, what's that? And I said, well, you can get a lobster dinner with two lobsters for seven dollars and fifty cents pretty good what jesus holy god I, I, and i don't That's think it's amazing. much more than that now in the summer it might you could probably and they were all over the place on highway one um uh, it's probably a 15 or 20 dollar dinner now. well back before uh uh, the, the rich people realized how tasty lobster was. That's what the poor people used to do is they just go over to the shore and yep. Yep. snatch up yep. some lobster and eat it because no one else wanted it. Yeah. Everyone was like, you're eating those gross things? Bugs. Giant yep. bugs. Yep. Remember that? They, they, thought they, were, they thought they were a form of a bug. Yeah, those Maine fishermen knew what they were doing. Drink a lot of gin and dump, dump them in butter and there's nothing better in the world. There you go. <laughs> you're good to go. My, one of my favorite commercials of all time, I believe, is for, I might have been for Smuckers or you know some jam or whatever. And this this young this girl was just raving about this jam was so delicious. And her her father from Maine said, "What about your father's strawberries?" <laughs> that is the worst Maine that. accent I've ever heard. Wow! You look like Mayor. I'm it sounds sorry. like Mayor Quimby. Yeah, it's. Uh... Like New Jersey, like that's more of a roadie accent, actually. Yeah. Okay, I want you. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break so you both can pipe down. Okay, what do you think of that action? Not that take I could do a main accent with off the top of my head. I can. There's no way. Don't they say father? Well, kind of. That's closer to that. That is Southern New England. So in Maine, they just talk. They try to think of a good Maine story. You've been there in a while, so yeah. We can listen to Jude Bark while you think. Yeah, I, Jude's barking I in the background. I got a f- free balloon ride from the Skowhegan State Fair. We went up, oh, wound up in a like fog the... bank. It's almost like so Mississippi. So we let gas out of the, the balloon. <sighs> Came down above a farmer who was plowing his field. And I said, farmer, where are we? He looked at me and said, you're in a balloon, you goddamn fool. <laughs> That's a main accent, and it's a main joke. Sorry. It's a good joke. I like the joke. We'll be back. Car selling secrets up in five minutes with the family.